Simaharani Kija, Samaveta Bhaktivinda Kija, Gaur Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Bhutalashi Mati Bhakti Vinata Swami Nita Namani. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharani Nivasesa Sanyavani Paskatyade Satarani. Bandeham Shri Guru Shri Utah Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Panchakapatubischa Kipisam Vyavidya Patichanam Pabanavya Vaishnavamonamaha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya February 19th, 2014 in Durban, South Africa Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Chapter 6 Conversation between Narada and Vyas, Text 27 Evam Krishna Mater Brahman. Evam Krishna Mater Brahman. Na Saktas Yamalatmana. Kala Pradura Bhutkale. Taditso Damani Yata. Evam. Thus, Krishna Matahe. One who is fully absorbed in thinking of Krishna. Brahman. O Vyasadeva. Na. Not. Ashaktasya. Of one who is attached. Amala Atmanaha. Amala Atmanaha. Of one who is completely free from all material dirt. Kalaha, death, Padura Bhut, become visible, Kale, in the course of time, Tadit, lightning, Sodamani, illuminating, Yata, as it is. Translation in purport by Srila Prabhupada. And so, O Brahman of Vyasadeva, in due course of time, I, who was fully absorbed in thinking of Krishna, and who therefore had no attachments, being completely free from all material taints, met with death as lightning and illumination occurs simultaneously. Purport. To be fully absorbed in the thought of Krishna means clearance of material dirts or hankerings, as a very rich man has no hankerings for small petty things. So also a devotee of Lord Krishna, who is guaranteed to pass on to the kingdom of God, where life is eternal, fully cognizant and blissful, naturally has no hankering for petty material things, which are like dolls or shadows of the reality and are without permanent value. That is a sign of spiritually enriched persons. And in due course of time, when a pure devotee is completely prepared, all of a sudden the change of body occurs, which is commonly called death. And for the pure devotee, such a change takes place exactly like lightning, and illumination follows simultaneously. That is to say, a devotee simultaneously changes his material body and develops a spiritual body by the will of the Supreme. Even before death, a pure devotee has no material affection due to his body's being spiritualized like a red-hot iron in contact with fire. Evam Krishna Matir Brahman Nasaktasya Malatmana and so, O Brahman of Vyasadeva, in due course of time, I, who was fully absorbed in thinking of Krishna, and who therefore had no attachments, being completely free from all material taints, met with death, as lightning and illumination occurs simultaneously. So, Krishna Mati, this was the kind of benediction that Mahaprabhu would, would give anyone who met him. May you be absorbed in Krishna. May you be absorbed in Krishna. And then because one is absorbed in Krishna, ashaktasya. Ashakti means attachment, without attachments. 
So it can't be completely without attachment because he's absorbed in Krishna. So therefore the understanding is without materially without material attachments. Because first it says he's attached to Krishna, then it says he's without attachments. So without material attachments. Amala Atma, the self is Amala. Amala means something dirty. There's nothing dirty in the self. The self is clean. And therefore in life one is perfect and at death one is perfect. So this is the essence of Krishna consciousness. Krishna consciousness. The essence of Krishna consciousness is to be conscious of Krishna. Duh. But sometimes we seem to miss this. I remember one leader saying to me, I am very conscious of Krishna consciousness, but I'm not very conscious of Krishna. <laughs> to be absorbed in Krishna, Krishna Mati. And to be absorbed in Krishna with attachment. Ashakta, um, maya Shakta Manapartha. Krishna is saying, have an Ashakti. Like here it says, not having any Ashakti. Krishna says, have an Ashakti. We become absorbed in whatever we're attached to. Right? That's our absorption. The reason that we might find it difficult to be absorbed in Krishna is that we have attachments to other things rather than attachments to Krishna. And Krishna is so kind, he gives us whatever we want. Whatever is our attachment, that's what we get. So because Narada Muni was completely, 100% attached to Krishna, completely absorbed in Krishna, uh, therefore, when it came time to go to his next destination, immediately, he got his spiritual body, immediately. Generally, when a person dies, there's some, they don't immediately get their next body. Generally, they have some discussion with the higher entities like Yamaraj. And there's some court Prabhupada said that prayers for someone who's died is effective just like witnesses in a court. So there's, some, there's a court case. I mean, depending on how pious you are, it depends who may bring you to court. Like there's this one story of Savitri and uh, Sachivan, where Yamaraj himself came to take Sachivan to his court because Sachivan was so elevated. And then we have, you know, a Jamyo where the Yamadudas came to take him to Yamaraja's court. So you don't always get escorted to Yamaraja's court by the same personalities. It depends on who you are. Right? And he doesn't, because Yamaraj doesn't just have the Yamadudas, he also has the Pitris, the various exalted beings. But generally, death means that there's some discussion, there's some review of your life, there's some discussion, like Yamaraj discusses with King Nriga. You know, okay, you've done so many good things. Your good things are like the stars in the sky, the grains of sand on the earth, but you've done a few bad things. Okay, what do you want to do? How do you want to go on? Right? So there's some, generally for a person at the time of death, if there's a combination of our desires, our karma, and our thoughts at the time of death. These three things combine, and then there's persons who evaluate Prabhupada also said, when a person's in a coma, it means the higher entities are considering their case. Considering their case. But here, when one's fully absorbed in Krishna, that, that process doesn't go on. When one's fully absorbed in Krishna, immediately. Like there's lightning and there's light at the same time. It's not that there's lightning and then there's light. They happen simultaneously. There's, there's no discussion. There's no consultation. There's no meeting with higher entities. There's no looking at the law books. There's no judgment. Immediately one's spiritual body is there. In fact, Prabhupada says here that one's so-called material body, even in this life, starts acting spiritualized. Starts acting spiritualized. And such a devotee is explained here. We talked about this yesterday, but the point is again made here. That such a, such a person who's fully absorbed in Krishna, they have no material desires, not because they've killed their desires, not because they become empty. That's a Buddhist idea, or at best a Mayavadi idea. You know, my desires are causing my problems, my attachments are causing my problems, let me just kill desires. You can't kill desires. If you kill desires, you become a chair. So the reason the devotee has no material desires is so nicely explained here, as a very rich man has no hankering for small petty things. You know, Ambarish was just here, so if you were to give him a, you know, two rand worth plastic thing. There's no interest in it. I'll buy him some cheap watch from who would be interested in it? And it's just, I mean, even in our own life. So some time ago, one devotee in India got me these really nice uh, flip-flops, these really nice sandals. They'll probably last for at least four or five years. They're extremely comfortable, very durable, very well-made. 
And twice when I was in Brazil, devotees gave me these really cheap Brazilian sandals. Really cheap, things that would last like for a month. You know, and the, the plastic is not done properly, so they cut your toes and they give you blisters in your toes. Two different cities people offered me, you know, here, would you like these flip-flops? I said, I already have a pair. Oh, but these are Brazilian, they said. I don't care if they're Brazilian. <laughs> so because I already had something nicer, therefore I wasn't interested. You follow? If I had no shoes, if I was shoeless, like Radha Swami tells the story in his journey home, how he was with these babas in the forest. And when he sat around the fire, they said, this is a sacred fire. You can't wear your shoes. And they were very scary people. So he just took his shoes and threw them in the woods. After that, he was shoeless. So if I was shoeless, then I might think, oh, these cheap Brazilian sandals that will give me blisters. At least they're shoes. I, okay, they're cheap, they're going to break in a month, they give me blisters, but they're shoes. Okay, I'll take them. But if I already have a nice pair of shoes, then I have no interest. I have no interest. So if one, if one isn't attached to Krishna, one may think that the things of this world, which Prabhupada says are like dolls or shadows, and simply give us suffering. One may think, well, at least it's something. <laughs> right? If you have nothing, you think, well, at least material life is something. At least I get some temporary, mixed with misery, happiness. <laughs> You know, maybe it's temporary, and maybe it's misery before and after. Material happiness is like a misery sandwich, you know. <laughs> Seriously. Misery before, misery after. You have to work hard to enjoy the happiness, and then that, the very happiness gives you suffering. So, within the little, you get a little bit of temporary, very little bit of temporary happiness. You know, or at least my, I'm not feeling the stones on the road, right? The shoes are cutting my feet, but I'm not feeling the stones on the road. But if you already have nice shoes, what would you care? So Krishna consciousness means you're already absorbed in Krishna. That's why you have no material desires. That's why there's no dirty things. Dirty means I want something for myself. I want to be the center. That's what dirty means. Dirty doesn't mean I have a car. And dirty doesn't mean I have, I have a pair of shoes. Or dirty doesn't mean I have clothes or something. You know, that's, that's not what we mean by material. <laughs> People think you know, material means something like that. No, material means I, I'm selfish. So the enjoyment based on selfishness becomes unattractive to the devotee because they see that enjoyment based on service and love is so much higher. And therefore everything dirty, all, everything that's exploitive is, is gone. And when everything that's exploitive is gone, then one's body becomes spiritualized. Now that's the, the process. And then one's, one's completely satisfied, one's full. We were talking about yesterday, one becomes full. There's no more room for anything dirty because one is full with Krishna. And the result of that is that in this life, one is spiritualized. In this life, one is not experiencing the material miseries. And then at death, one immediately gets a fully one spiritual body. So there's, there's a scientific process to how this works. That if we have material desires, again, a material desire means a desire to satisfy my senses separately from Krishna. Some desire for enjoyment that's separated. That's what a material desire means. Material desire doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I want a new car. If you want a new car so you can go preaching somewhere and do Krishna's business, that's not a material desire. You follow? Does that make sense to everybody? Just, just if you say, I want a car, that doesn't make it material. But that's not how you just define what's a material desire and what's not a material desire. Material desire is something I want to enjoy separately from Krishna. Something where I'm thinking, I'm the center. I'm the enjoyer. I'm going to take Krishna's energy and use it for my own purposes. If you're in the mode of ignorance, you do that by stealing. If you're in the mode of passion or goodness, you do it by permission and by, by paying some sort of sacrifice. But the goal is still my own personal enjoyment separate from Krishna. So that, that's a material desire. And when you have these material desires, then they form a subtle body. The subtle body is really made up, Prabhupada says, thinking, feeling, and willing. Thoughts, emotions, and wills, desires, and, and which lead then to behaviors. Willing leads to behaviors. So that's what the material subtle body is made out of. It's made out of all the varieties of way in which I want to enjoy separately from Krishna. Well, I want to enjoy separately from Krishna by getting a BMW. Well, I want to enjoy separately from Krishna by having a big house. Well, I want to enjoy separately from Krishna by being a lawyer. Well, I want to enjoy separately from Krishna by being a very respected, saintly person and very tolerant and humble and forgiving. And you know, However it may be, 
know, I want to enjoy Krishna by being peaceful and tolerant and forgiving. I want to enjoy Krishna by building big buildings and conquering kingdoms and being honored by people. I want to enjoy separately from Krishna by, you know, drinking alcohol and watching the football game on TV. Those varieties of, of specific desires are all coming from that original desire. And as we have these thoughts and feelings, oh, wouldn't it be nice if I could, you know, get this... Thing. Wouldn't it be nice if I could do this? Wouldn't it be nice if I do that? That's those thoughts and then those desires. Yes, I want them. What does Krishna say? Contemplating the objects of the senses, then you develop attachment. He's talking about attachments. Then you then that attachment becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. I must have it. I must have it at any price. At any price. Whatever I have to do, becomes lust. And then from lust, anger, because material desires either we don't get them, we work very hard for them, we don't get them, or we get them and they disappoint us, or we get them and they're perfect and then they're temporary. <laughs> We lose them. So one of those three things. That makes us angry, right? I'm angry when I want something and I work and I work and I work and I don't get it. I'm angry when I want something, I work and I get it, and then it's, ugh, why did I work for this? It's not what I wanted. Or we're angry, we work for it, we get it. It's perfect. Wow, this is fantastic. Exactly what I already want. Always want, and then it breaks. Right? Or it leaves us, or we leave it. So then anger, and then bewilderment of memory. Intelligence is lost. And this... This forms the subtle body. This is what's forming the subtle body. The subtle body is made of our attachments. It's what it's composed of. Like sometimes when people die, they don't go on to a next body, they become a ghost. And the ghost has a form, yes? The ghost has a form. What does the form look like? Do you know what the form of a ghost looks like? It's a subtle Yes, but what does it look like? If someone sees a ghost... Huh? Like a cloth? No, not like a cloth. Huh? What does it look like? So if Mrs. Patel dies, what does her ghost look like? Looks like Mrs. Patel. If somebody sees the ghost, it looks like the body. It looks like the person, the ghost body that the person had. So if the person who died had red hair, their ghost looks like it has red hair. Get a chair for this. Yes. Do you do you all understand that? What? But that's it's not a gross body. It's a subtle body. So it, it has a form. Prabhupada talks about how the form of this body of skin and bones it's fitting on top of our subtle body. It fits just like this shirt. You know, this shirt is it fits on top of my body. Right? We're all wearing clothes. The clothes are the size of our body. If we have a very big body, then we buy very large size clothes. If we have a very small body, we buy very small size clothes. So our gross, this particular gross body that we have, it's fitting on our subtle body. And the subtle body is made up of what? Our attachments, our material desires, our thoughts, thinking, feeling, and willing. Those are those are, have substance. Krishna says there's there's earth, that I means solids, there's solids, there's liquids, there's gases, there's radiant energy, there's space, and there's also mind, intelligence, and ego. These are all material elements. They have they have substance to them. So our thoughts, our mind and intelligence, our thoughts, our feelings, our desires, it 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 has substance. It's not just something, you know, that doesn't exist. It's real. And it takes a certain shape. Our desires take a particular shape. And then because of that shape, we get a certain gross body. We get a body that fits. Krishna fulfills desires. Whatever we desire, we get that kind of a body. How does Krishna know what we desire? Those desires have a form. And so our body changes in this life. And if we have desires that cannot be accommodated in this life, then at death we get another body. That's why there's death. There's death because not all of my desires can be accommodated by this body. Don't we all have desires that just can't be achieved in this body? Doesn't everybody have like that? Yeah? Don't you have desires that just this body will just not do it? Right? Yes? For some of us that may be very severe. For some of us we may have desires extremely different from the body. For some of us it may be mild, but still we have desires we can't fulfill in this body. So therefore we get all different bodies to fulfill different desires. You're not going to find one material body that can fulfill all the... Because they're, they're contradictory. We have contradictory desires. 
I, I want two things that I can't have at the same time, yes? So therefore we go through this death and rebirth and all these different bodies. So the Krishna conscious process is you change your attachment. This is saying no attachments, ashaktasya, no attachments. But yet he says, Krishna matehe, he's absorbed in Krishna. So you change the, the essence of your thinking, feeling, and willing. That is Krishna consciousness. Prabhupada says, second chapter, Nectar Devotion, that sadhana bhakti, practice bhakti, he's talking about vaidhi sadhana bhakti, begins, begins with thinking of Krishna. That's how it begins. And the essence of bhakti is what? To always, always think of Krishna, always remember Krishna, never forget him. That's the essence of the path of bhakti. The essence of the path of bhakti is not a particular external bodily ritual. The essence of the path of bhakti is to always think of Krishna and never forget him. I remember many, 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 many years ago, I was involved in some group. We were having managerial meetings, and there was some controversy and some fighting. And one of the devotees says, you know, when we start doing this, we forget about that little blue boy playing his flute. And I went, oh yeah, we do. <laughs> you know, that that's the essence of it. And in the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about, you know, always think of me with love, which Bhakti Nota, of course, is 12a. He said that's describing Raganuga Sadhana Bhakti. Then if you can't do that, Krishna says, then Abhyas Yoga, 12.9. Practice thinking of me. And that's explained by the Acharyas. That's Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti. And then if you can't even do that, Krishna says in 12.10, then do Krishna Karmani, do some work for me. And that Vishnu Chakravati Thakur describes, if you just can't think of Krishna, then at least do something for Krishna. You know, clean the temple, pick flowers, and eventually you'll be able to think of Krishna. That's the idea. But until we start trying to think of Krishna, we're not really in, in sadhana bhakti. We're in Krishna karmani, but we're not in sadhana bhakti. We're not in bhakti yoga. Maybe karma yoga or karma mishra bhakti, but we're not in bhakti yoga. So bhakti yoga begins when we start to change our attachments. And the purpose of everything we do, the purpose of chanting Hare Krishna. I mean, on the higher levels, one chants Hare Krishna because one's already changed one's attachments and one's chanting Hare Krishna out of love. But in the beginning, we're chanting Hare Krishna to develop that love. We're offering Arati to develop that love. I mean, you can think of it in a relationship with another person. You know, if, when, if formally, when there were arranged marriages, Prabhupada said it wasn't like we see happened in recent times where it's just, okay, you marry this person tomorrow and you never met them before. Prabhupada said they would have some ceremony when they were young and then they would have some periodic association and developing the relationship and then they had the, the real wedding and then they would live together. And Prabhupada said that the, the young boy and young girl, they'd meet with their family and the family would say to the girl, here's some sweets, you know, go give this to this man, he's your husband. So at that time, they, the, the feelings wouldn't already have been manifested. But she's, okay, take these sweets and give them to my husband. So that was a way of developing love. You follow? It was a process for developing love. And once the feeling awakens, then you give some sweets to your husband. That demonstrates the love that's already there. And it develops for love, does both. In the beginning, it's just developing love. And then when the love starts to develop, it's both further developing that love and expressing love. So at the higher aspects of bhakti, our chanting, our artik, our everything, these are all things that pure devotees naturally do as an expression of their love. Really what bhakti is, is we, we take the things that somebody who's already in love with Krishna does spontaneously, and we, in one sense, imitate them to develop that mood. You know, okay, someone who loves his wife gives her a flower. Okay, so if I give you flowers, it'll help develop love. And there's certain things that help develop love more than others. You know, everybody knows that if you want to develop or express love, you give flowers. You don't give, you know, automobile parts, generally. I mean, unless your husband is an automotive mechanic, then you might give automotive parts. But you understand what I'm saying, that there, there are certain types of behavior and even certain types of objects which are more likely to develop and express love than there's other kinds of behavior and even other kinds of objects. So in bhakti... We take what is done by the acharyas to develop this love and to express this love, and we do it. And the purpose is to develop and then develop and express love and attachment. That's the purpose. The purpose is not like one of the offenses is to think that the chanting is some sort of ritual to get me something. You know, Prabhupada said in the previous verse, they have the highest aim of life going back to home, back to Godhead. But that's not like going to a material heaven. 
Krishna doesn't like it if we take the process like that. Again, that's not bhakti. Then that becomes at best karma yoga, maybe karma kanda. If I'm thinking, okay, if I just say this mantra a certain number of times and I just say these prayers before I eat my food and I just do these rituals, then I'll go back to Godhead where it's going to be like heaven and I'm going to enjoy. If, if, we're, if we're putting that idea on, then that's, again, that's not really bhakti. That's treating Krishna like a machine. That's treating the process like it's some sort of mechanical arrangement. You know, I, I do this, I push this button, and then that's going to happen. But bhakti is about developing an attachment to the person, Krishna. It's about filling one's mind with the person, Krishna, changing one's thoughts, starting to think about Krishna. That means really thinking about Krishna. It doesn't mean just thinking about thinking about Krishna. It means thinking about Krishna directly. Krishna's form, Krishna's qualities, Krishna's pastimes. As I think I said yesterday, where Prabhupada said, you know, what is the use of mechanical chanting and thinking of nonsense? He said, this will not, he said, it will be useless or will be very slow. He said, why, what's the point of having this Krishna book and reading the Krishna book? As soon as you're chanting, you should be thinking of Krishna. He said, you should be thinking about how Krishna's with the cowherd boys and killing some demon and then they're all clapping. Or you can think about Krishna's instructions on the Bhagavad Gita. So in somehow or other, somehow or other, we should start thinking about Krishna. And as we think about Krishna, just like materially, if you think about material things, you'll develop an attachment for them. While contemplating the objects of the senses, one develops an attachment. And that can be true, by the way, even for ridiculous things. If you really meditate on anything, you'll become attached to it. I mean, you see people who spend their whole life studying, you know, one species of crab that lives in one river somewhere, yes? Don't people do that? I mean, seriously, people, there are people who study the digestive system of a particular kind of insect. There really are people like that in the world. And, and you wonder, you know, how are they fascinated by this their whole life? And they write papers on it and they conventions. Seriously. Why? Because anything you contemplate, ultimately everything's Krishna's energy. So everything has some attractive feature because there's Krishna. Anything that's alive is fascinating, isn't it a fact? So if something's alive, so if there's some life, we're fascinated by it. So if we can become attached to a little tiny, like Krishna said, the, ever, all the opulence in the universe, he says in the 10th chapter, all the opulence in the universe put together, it's just a small spark of his splendor. All the opulence in the universe, wow. You know, we can get so attracted just to one mountain. I was in Cape Town. Everybody's attracted to this one mountain that looks like a table just because it's flat at the top. You know, oh, it's so attractive. We can become attracted to one species of bird and one little river and one little... How attracted can we become to Krishna? How attracted can we become to Krishna? You know, we get attracted to another person and we're, we're just meditating on their eyes or, you know, some other bodily feature and we're just completely attracted by one part of their body. Yes? Even the, you know, the, I saw the other day this woman with a little baby and she's just meditating on the baby's fingers and toes, you know. Over and over again, she's holding her baby. She was in the Bhagavatam class and she's holding her baby and she's just meditating on the little, her little baby's toes. So if we can become that attached to some part of a 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 part of Krishna's energy, how attached can we become to Krishna? Right? So all you have to do is meditate on Krishna. All you have to do is, is, and at first, it takes an effort. Yes, it does. If you wait, if you think, first I'm going to be spontaneously attached to Krishna, and then I'll meditate on him, how will you become spontaneously attached to Krishna if you never meditate on him? It doesn't happen. Even in the material sphere, you know, first I'm going to become spontaneously attached to my wife and then I'll think of her. If you never think of her, you'll never become attached to her. It's just not going to work. It's not the process that, it's not how things function. So initially, because I'm full of all these dirty things and I have all these other attachments and I'm convinced that these cheap Brazilian sandals are going to make me happy, even though they're cutting my feet and they're falling apart and they're only going to last for a month. I'm thinking, wow, they're from Brazil. Someone told me yesterday that Brazilian sandals are so popular here, people pay 300 rands for them just because they're from Brazil. I said, oh, I should have taken them and brought them here and sold them. <laughs> but, you know, if, 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 at first it's difficult. At first it's difficult. 
because we're accustomed to thinking that the way I'm going to satisfy my senses is independent of Krishna. And we're accustomed to thinking that anytime I try to satisfy somebody else, I get cheated. So I better just take care of myself. So at first it's difficult to think of Krishna. Therefore, abhyas yoga. Abhyas means repetition. One has to make an effort. In the beginning, one has to make an effort. In the beginning, it seems artificial. Okay, I have to think of Krishna now. Okay, so that, that's why we take these vows, 16 rounds. Frankly, most of us, if we don't take a vow of 16 rounds, we're not going to spontaneously chant 16 rounds. Right? I mean, that's just the reality. The devotee asked Prabhupada, how do I know when I'm chanting high-quality rounds? <laughs> Prabhupada says, when 16 isn't enough, when you want to chant 16,000 rounds. When, you, when you're spontaneously attracted. But how do we get to that point? We think of Krishna. We say, okay, I'm going to spend this time every day thinking of Krishna. Actually, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, in, in commenting on Rupa Goswami saying that one should remember Krishna always. He says for the neophyte, that means at least every day. You take a time and you say, okay, this is going to be my thinking of Krishna only time. I'm not even going to think about thinking about Krishna. I'm not even going to think about what I'm going to do for Krishna. I'm not even going to think, I'm just going to think about Krishna directly. So therefore we have the Mangalartik and we have the worshipping Tulsi and Japa time and hearing the Shastra. Yes. At least this time I'm going to think of Krishna. And then gradually we can start thinking of Krishna all the time. Think about how Krishna is the sunlight. Krishna is the heat and fire. The heat we're feeling in this room. It's a really hot day today, isn't it? It was already hot at 5 o'clock in the morning. But that heat, that's Krishna. And without heat we would die. I always ask people, what's your physiological need after air? And everybody guesses water. It's not, it's temperature. So Krishna is the heat and fire. Krishna is the light of the sun. Krishna is our, our air of life. I've been to the Ayurvedic doctor twice since I've been here. And the first time he said, okay, one of your life airs is all messed up. It's not, it's not going. So I'm going to give you these medicines that will fix this life air. And I went to see him yesterday and he said, wow, you're already 20% better after a few days. And I said, well, I was meditating on, on how Krishna is the life airs. I was meditating on that particular aspect of Krishna, the life airs. He said, the air around my navel wasn't flowing, so I was meditating on Krishna's navel. And I was meditating on how the sky is Krishna's navel and how the air is blowing the sky. And he said, yes, that's what you do. So even when it comes to, you know, our digestion and our life fears, Krishna says, I'm the life fears, I'm the digestive fire. You know, I'm the ability in man. Our ability to sit, our ability to think, our ability to, that's Krishna. So one thinks about Krishna. One thinks about Krishna in his personal form, standing on the altar with Srimanti Radharani as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, as Jagannath, whatever form of Krishna you're attracted to. I know some devotees are really attracted to Balaram, some devotees are really attracted to Mahaprabhu. Meditate on Krishna directly in Krishna's pastimes, like killing the demons. Or Krishna as the life air, and Krishna as the sunshine, and, and bodies of water, I am the ocean, and purifiers, I am the wind. Or even as the universal form. We have all these birds here. I think you've collected all the birds in Durban and put them in your garden. You know? And it says in the Bhagavatam that the birds remind us of Krishna's artistic sense. So even then you think of Krishna. Krishna says on the sound in ether, even that sound the frogs are making, like, <laughs> sounds like somebody's rubbing two pieces of wood together or something. It's a really funny sound. But all the sound in ether, the sounds of the car horns, the sounds of the frogs, that's Krishna. So somehow we think about Krishna, and as we think about Krishna, then we become attached to Krishna, thinking, feeling, and willing. Then we start having feelings in relationship to Krishna. We start having feelings. Bhakti is about feelings. Bhava is feelings. We start having feelings in relation to Krishna. Contemplating one develops attachment. Then we start liking Krishna. Just like we have feelings and relationships to what we think about in this world. Right? Certain people, I think about them and be like, oh, mm-hmm. right? Certain places also. You see a photograph of certain places. You go, oh, I'm not going there again. Right? He had a feeling. Oh, we have feelings, positive feelings towards certain people. Oh, I get to see that person again. Oh, they're my good friend. I had such fun with them. We have feelings about clothes. Don't we have feelings about clothes? 
Don't each of us have our favorite clothes? I have a friend, Lakshmi Moni, who's been wearing just white for years and years. And she says, people think I just wear the same thing every day. She said, but actually I have different saris and some of them are my favorites. <laughs> you know, I was, I was just uh, hearing and... Oh, it was uh, Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's comment. I'm preparing for some seminars on this in, uh, in Vrindavan. So he was talking about how in, in Rasalila, the gopis, they come out of the Jamuna with Krishna, and then the, the Vishnu Chakravati Thakur says that Devi's servants comes and dresses each gopi in their favorite clothing. They have favorite clothing. They have favorite colors. Like Lalita likes to wear peacock-colored peacock colored clothes. Vishaka likes to wear clothes that look like the stars in the sky. We know Krishna likes to wear yellow. They have favorite colors, and they have favorite clothes. They have feelings. We have feelings about our clothes. Right? Don't we? Then you, some of your clothes are like, oh, I need to do the laundry, and now i got to wear that thing. <laughs> so as we think about Krishna, we get feelings for Krishna. We get feelings for Krishna. At first, they're very general feelings. There may be general feelings of gratitude and general feelings of, of wonder, or feel, general feelings of joy. And then gradually those start becoming specific feelings and we start to feel, oh, Krishna is my friend, I'm his cowherd boy, Krishna is my lover, I'm a gopi, or Krishna is my child, I'm, I'm one of the, in a parental, the, those specific feelings. And then desires, thinking, feeling, willing, then we start getting desires. Oh, I would like to serve Krishna in this way, I'd like to serve Krishna in this way, I'd like to serve Krishna in this way. How can I use the talents and abilities Krishna has given me for his pleasure? We start to have those desires. Now, as we start to have thoughts, feelings, and desires for Krishna, then what happens? What happens to the mental body? The mental body is made of thoughts, feelings, and desires. That's what it's composed of. Now, it's composed of material thoughts, feelings, and desires. But when you start having spiritual thoughts, feelings, and desires, we talked about the cup being full and there's no room. What happens to the material thoughts, feelings? There aren't any. You can only have so many thoughts, feelings, and desires. If they're spiritual, then the, there's no, the material starts decreasing. It's like you're, you're starving the subtle body. You're not feeding it anything. The only thing the material subtle body can eat, so to speak, is material thoughts, feelings, and desires. It's something material. It can't eat other things. It can't digest them. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything to them. So when you have spiritual thoughts, feelings, and desires and you don't have any material ones, the subtle body starts starving, starts dissolving. And the spiritual body starts to awaken because spiritual thoughts, feelings, and desires awaken the spiritual body. And then even the gross body, Prabhupada says, becomes spiritualized. Remember the gross body is fitting on the subtle body. Yes? So if internally, instead of a material subtle body, if internally you start having a spiritual body awakening, then your gross body is acting spiritually. Prabhupada says like, uh, like red hot iron in contact with fire. What's the fire? The fire is the awakening of the spiritual body within. And that fire starts affecting the gross material body. So even though the body is still made apparently of bones and blood and flesh and so forth. It doesn't act like that. Like the iron rod is still made of iron. It's not like it's made of something else. But it doesn't, it doesn't have the, it has the effect of fire. If you touch anything to it, it'll burn. So even a person's gross body, if inside the spiritual body has awakened and the subtle material body has dissolved, then even their gross body acts spiritually. Wherever they go becomes a holy place. Anyone who even sees them or touches them becomes purified. There's so many stories even in other traditions outside of our Vaishnava tradition like of, of saints within Catholicism where after they died that their bodies didn't decompose you know hundreds of years after they died and there's sometimes these sweet smelling perfumes that are emanating from their bodies and people take that and, and put it on their own body and become curative diseases I mean there's many many stories like this so that, that's our process and then in this life one is no longer materially affected. We're affected by the material pains and pleasures because we're attached to the body and we're attached to the body because we want to use the body as a vehicle for our enjoyment. Therefore, we feel the pains and pleasures of the body. But if one has is, is become fully spiritualized, then one knows about the pains and pleasures of the body to some extent, but one is not affected by them. Something like you're in a car 
you don't think that you're your car. So when the car is low on petrol, you know it's low on petrol. You have to go to a petrol station. But you don't feel hungry. Right? When the gauge goes down, you don't, you don't have hunger pains. Do you understand? It's not painful. You don't experience this as pain. And when you fill up the car with petrol, you don't experience it as pleasure. Like, oh, petrol, my car. It, it's, it's, it's not like that. Even though you're in the car and you're driving the car and you're using the car for your purposes, you don't experience the so-called pleasures and pains of the car as your pleasures and pains. So in the same way, the liberated soul, they're in the body, they're aware of the, the body's needs, but they don't experience it as pain and pleasure. They're absorbed in Krishna's pastimes. And then at death, there's no subtle body to bring you to another material body. That's the vehicle that brings you there. It isn't, it isn't there, it's gone. Um, simply death is removing of the covering to reveal the spiritual body that's already developed within. Spiritual body is practically speaking already there. And then the, the material body falls away and like... And there's, it's not... You know, what's painful about death is not so much what comes before death. You know, sometimes we think of death as very painful because often preceding death there's some injury or there's some disease which causes a lot of bodily pain. And sometimes death occurs because the bodily pain is so severe that the, the living entity just can't stay there anymore, becomes intolerable. But death itself, the pain of, of actual, the actual death, is the pain of giving up one's attachments. That's really the pain of death. You can have a death that's relatively painless or probably painless on the physiological level. I mean, when my mother died, she, had, she only had some slight pain the last couple of days. Her process of dying was, was painless. She lost her ability to swallow, and she couldn't eat, so she stopped eating. The doctor said, well, let's put a food in your stum- in your, tube in your stomach to feed you, and she said, you know, I'm 89. I can't even move anymore. I can't even roll over in bed by myself. At least I have my mind. Why should I just lie here in bed with a tube in my stomach until I lose my mind? Should have already basically lost my body. I don't have to hang around until I lose my mind. If I can't eat, then it's time for me to stop eating. And I was the only one who said, Mother, whatever you want to do. Everybody else said, No, you got to get a tube in your belly. You know, I said, Mother, if you want the tube, that's fine. You don't want the tube, that's fine. Anyway, so she stopped eating. And gradually her ability to swallow became so poor she could hardly even drink water we could give her one little 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 teaspoon of water at a time. So she was probably drinking maybe maybe one cup a day total. And at the end she basically died from dehydration. And she didn't she didn't have any pain. The nurses doctors nurses told me that kind of death actually puts your body into a state of euphoria. But still we saw at the end she was fighting death. It was quite interesting. So why? What is the the uh, eventually it was very Krishna conscious and auspicious is a long story. But what, what we don't like about death is I'm going to lose my identity. Yes, I have desires I can't fulfill in this body, but I've also put so much time and effort into this body. It's kind of like you have a house and you've put a lot of money into fixing it up and you've bought all the kind of furniture you like and you've planted a garden. You know, and now it's time to move on because you don't like your job anymore and you got a much better job in another city, you have a much better opportunity in another city, but you're kind of walking around the house. My apple tree. I planted that when my first child was one year old. My grandma gave me the seed and I have to leave it. You know, all this... So this, this life is like that. You know, I, I bought these things and I've taken care of them. And I mean, for me, it's like all of my files on my computer that I've written. <laughs> all of my relationships, and now I have to leave. And, but for the person who's Krishna conscious, they don't have any of that. They haven't invested in this false identity. They're doing things in the world as a service, but they haven't invested in this false identity. There's no investment. It's a drama you're doing. It's a role you're playing. I often talk about devotees becoming secret agents. So if you're a secret agent for South Africa and you go in some enemy country and in that enemy country you get a job, you don't get attached to that job because that's not really your job. You get a job in the other country as you know, a car salesman. But you, you don't have that identity. You don't think, I'm a car salesman. You follow? You're not investing anything. Even if you learn how to be a great car salesman, 
even if you study everything and you become expert at being a car salesman, that's not where your investment is. It's not your identity. Your investment is I'm an agent for the South African government. And in order to do my job for the South African government, I have to take this cover. So the devotee is thinking, you know, I'm really Krishna's agent. I'm Krishna's agent for selling love of God. I have a secret mission in this world. And I may have some cover that I'm somebody's wife, somebody's husband, somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's aunt and uncle, somebody's daughter, somebody's son, that I have this job and I have this, this thing. But it's all cover, and I have no investment in it. And when to do service for Krishna, I go someplace, then I go someplace else. So therefore, for the devotee, there's, there's no pain of death. We read about Dhruva Maharaj, one of Narada's disciples. Narada has many famous disciples. And he didn't even really die at all. His spiritualized body was his spiritualized body. His spiritual body manifested there without anything that we would call death. And death came. The chariot came to take him. The airplane came to take him to Vaikuntha. And death also came. And, oh, hi there, death. You'd be my... Okay, folks, you know what? On phones, there's something called vibrate. And if you don't know how to do it, please ask somebody next to you. How do I put my phone on vibrate? So, you know, when death came, Dhruva took it as a step. He stepped on the head of death to get into the... So we would all like to die like that, yes? So that, that's not... Bhaktivinoda Thakur says you don't like sit around hoping it's going to just happen. One has to, one has to make some effort to fill one's outside of the bhakti. One doesn't have to make an effort forever. Once, once the feelings start to awaken, then thinking of Krishna becomes natural and spontaneous. More and more and more. And Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, he's in describing the gopis who are kept back from being with Krishna. He talks about that to whatever extent a devotee's sense objects are in relationship to pleasing Krishna, to that extent the body and mind are spiritualized, and whatever extent of devotee's sense objects are in relationship to pleasing themselves separately from Krishna, to that extent they're still material. So we may be a mixture. Huh? Prabhupada says gradual and proportional. So we start off with all these material desires. Our material desires are this high, Madhuri Kadambani. It's such a nice description of this. We start off with how our material desires, our self-absorption, or, you know, absolute, all-pervasive. And our interest in Krishna is this little teeny tiny spark. And as we increase our interest in Krishna, then our self-absorption decreases. And as we increase our interest in Krishna, our self-absorption decreases. And as soon as we get to half, Prabhupada says, 50%, then we become fixed in bhakti. And from there, our absorption in Krishna stops becoming a hard struggle with determination. It stops becoming this, okay, I've got to do this as my practice. Okay, time for me to think of Krishna. It stops becoming like that. And it starts becoming easier and easier and easier and easier. It starts becoming more and more and more natural till one gets a real taste, till one gets deep attachment, till then one is absorbed in emotions in relationship to Krishna. So Prabhupada says, if we want to enter the sun, we have to have a body of fire. If we want to enter the water, we have to have a body suitable for the water. If we want to go to Krishna, we have to have a spiritual body. Spiritual body is made up of thinking of Krishna, of emotions in relationship to Krishna, and in desires in relations to Krishna. So that is what the purpose of our Krishna consciousness movement is. That is its purpose, to become conscious of Krishna. We are meant to help each other become conscious of Krishna. It was so interesting yesterday. We had this talk given at the university, and the title was How to Maximize Your University Experience. And it was one of those, I don't have this experience too often, but somehow a lot of the audience just weren't connecting. They just weren't connecting. We had a big crowd, probably 60, 70 people. The room was packed. Of course, we started half an hour late also, so maybe people had to leave for some classes or to take the res bus or something like that. But there were half the people left by the end of the class, which is unusual. But toward the end, I started talking about Krishna, Krishna, Krishna. I stopped talking about, you know, becoming spiritually enlightened and finding your real identity and using your talents in the service of the greater good. And I stopped talking about, I was talking a lot about Varna and Ashram, and I stopped talking about all that. And I just started talking about Krishna and how beautiful Krishna is and how wonderful Krishna is and how wonderful the spiritual sky is. And instantly, the whole room changed. Instantly. And they, well, I wasn't struggling to connect with anybody anymore. It was an instant connection. And people were, were captivated. And I thought later about also, right, this conversation between Narada and Vyasa, where Narada says to Vyasa, why are you talking about so many other things? Just talk about Krishna. 
So the reason you're not satisfied is you're not talking enough about Krishna. Talk just about Krishna, about Krishna, about Krishna. So sometimes even our Krishna consciousness movement is like we don't want to talk about Krishna. I don't know. We're afraid that we'll be sahajis or something if we talk about Krishna. Sahajis are people who pretend that they're already pure devotees while at the same time they engage in sinful activities and they don't follow the process. That's a sahaja. They, they say, I'm already a pure devotee. And sometimes they do it in weird ways and they dress up like they're already gopis and they, they make up their own process and then they go and smoke cigarettes. That's a sahaja. Sahaja is not somebody who talks about Krishna. <laughs> it doesn't make you a sahaja. So this, this is the essence of our process. I probably said yesterday this was the life of a devotee is explained in a nutshell. Being absorbed in hearing and chanting about Krishna with developing those desires. And when, when you start having feelings for Krishna, that's, we should celebrate that. I was once, I think I was in Vrindavan. A devotee and I were right up at the altar looking at the deities. And I said, isn't Krishna handsome? And she said, oh, are we allowed to think that Krishna is handsome? I said, who do you want to think is handsome? <laughs> want to think some movie star is handsome? So we shouldn't be afraid. I mean, I, it really struck me, you know. Okay, here you're a devotee, you're chanting Hare Krishna, and you're, you're scared to think that Krishna is attractive. So we shouldn't be afraid to think about Krishna. Only first I have to be a pure devotee, then I can think of Krishna. First I can be a pure, pure devotee, then I can have some feelings for Krishna. First I can be a pure devotee. No, then you'll never be a pure devotee. <laughs> How are you going to be a pure, a pure devotee? Manmana bhava madbhakta madjaji mamnamaskar. Always think of me. Become my devotee. Yes? So this is our process. Think about Krishna. First it takes some effort. And whenever we think about Krishna, naturally some feelings will come. When they come, celebrate them. Prabhupada says, take a spark, fan it. Get some little spark of, of feeling, fan it. And then we'll get some desires. We'll get some desires. I want to serve Krishna like this. Then, then fan that, encourage that. And as that happens, then naturally, just as a rich person is not interested in, in something paltry. Naturally, our material attachments will be pale by comparison. Naturally. We, our process is not first get rid of the material attachments, then become attached to Krishna. Our process is get attached to Krishna, and naturally, the material attachments will go away. And then we'll have perfection, not only at death. We don't just have a philosophy. Our philosophy is not suffer in this life and do austerities and then go back to God. That's not our philosophy. Our philosophy is become spiritualized in this life, and uh, be in the spiritual world in this life. Right? Those, those four people who got blessings from the yogi, right? The one doing austerities, he said, you die immediately, you're suffering in life, and in your next life you'll go to have a better body. But to the devotee, he said, it doesn't matter whether you live or die, because even in life you're spiritualized. So we should be asking ourselves this question, how much have I thought about Krishna? How much have I thought about Krishna? How much have I thought about Krishna? That's the question we should ask ourselves. I mean, we should also ask ourselves, okay, did I chant my 16 rounds today? Did I follow the regulative principles? Did I read Prabhupada's books today? I know some devotees that have like a sadhana checklist. Bhakti Vishwam Madhavar she's really into these sadhana checklists. He has even on the, on the internet, he has his sadhana checklist. His disciples have their checklists. You know, it was, kind of a, it was kind of funny. He had, do one hour of yoga in the morning. No, 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 no. Do one hour of yoga in the afternoon. No, no, no. How many rounds chanted? 16, 16, 16, 28, 28, 32, 68, 68. I don't know why he likes 68. 68, 68, 68, 68, 68. So we can have some sadhana checklist. That's fine. That's good. I have one god brother who, you know, how many rounds did I chant? How many rounds did I chant with attention? How many hours did I read Shila Prabhupada's books? Which book did I read? And he struggles with coffee. Did I drink coffee today? How much? When did I wake up? You know, so that's very good, but also on our checklist should be did I think about Krishna? How much did I think about Krishna? How many minutes today did I think about Krishna? And then celebrate. Two minutes today thinking about Krishna. Great, wow. For ten seconds in my job I actually thought about Krishna. Wonderful. And then the next day try to think about Krishna more, and the next day think about Krishna more, and the next day think about Krishna more, and the next day think about Krishna more. And how, how meditate on how can how can I think about Krishna? How can I think about Krishna in the sunlight? How can I think about Krishna in my in, in my normal activities? And naturally, then our lives will be so full that the material things, what is it? Amala Atmana, Mala, 
then the nasty naturally. They naturally go away. And then it won't be a question of some blind faith where I'm following some ritualistic process with the hope that I'm going to go to some kind of heaven after death. But one will have experience. One will experience in this life. Oh, I'm getting closer and closer to Krishna. I'm seeing Krishna more and more. I'm starting to develop my spirituality. What does Prabhupada says here? This is a sign of spiritually enriched person. I love the word enriched. We should be able to see, am I becoming spiritually enriched? Am I losing my taste for the shadows of the world? So thank you very much. Questions, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections. Yes. Hi, Hi Krishna. Uh, I was just wondering, in addition to practicing sadha, process of sadha bhakti, mm-hmm. uh, how, because we have to still act on a daily basis, okay. how do we uh, dovetail our desires so that they're not separate? How would we know whether you know, our desires are not separate from Krishna? Okay. So in addition to sadhana bhakti, you're saying we're still living in the world, and therefore how do we know that we're dovetailing our desires in Krishna's service? So Varnashram, which is, you, which is really part of Karma Kanda or Karma Yoga. Varnashram is not actually part of Bhakti at all. It's part of Karma Kanda or Karma Yoga. Gives us a system by which we can spiritualize the rest of our life that's not only in the nine processes. So theoretically, or the 64 processes, depending on how you want to understand it. So on a theoretical basis, it's theoretically possible to only do the 64 Angas of Bhakti and not do anything else at all. Theoretically, that's possible. And the idea is that one should be doing that at least by the Vanaprastha and the Sanyasa, or at least by the Sanyasa Ashram. Even the Brahmacharis don't do that, because the Brahmacharis uh, traditionally are children. They're in school. Brahmachari means a student. And Prabhupada says they have to learn both values of life plus preparation for a livelihood. So the brahmachari is studying the shastras and engaging in the nine processes, but they're also learning what they're going to need for their varna, because most brahmacharis are going to get married and have a varna, right? So in the brahmachari ashram, you're a student, you're preparing for your life, and it's in the grahasta ashram that you're really doing your varna. So most grahastas, I mean, Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about two categories of grahastas. One category of grahasta isn't doing any varna activity. They're just doing the nine processes of bhakti. And other, other grahastas, I would say the vast majority, are also doing, they also have some occupation. They're also doing a Brahman Satya Vaisha or Sudra occupation. Vaisha, Brahman Satya Vaisha Sudra occupation is our material desires, how we desire to enjoy the world and how we desire to contribute to the world. How we desire to make, that's, that's Varna, that's what Varna means. That's really what it means. And then ashram is how you spiritualize your stage of life. But Prabhupada particularly talked about the ashrams as a spiritual system and the varnas as a social system, the varnas as a material system. But even ashram, it's how you take your stage of life and use it for Krishna. So the value of an ashram is you take, okay, I'm this age, therefore I'm in this ashram. Generally ashram is by age. I'm this age, therefore I should be in this ashram. And this ashram has a process for how to offer the desires of that ashram to Krishna. There's a system. Nowadays in materialistic society, people don't do that. I'm a student. Oh, student means I I take intoxicants, I have illicit sex, and I study what's going to help make me money in the future. That's what it means to be a student in modern society. Yes? I study something hoping, hoping it will make me rich and famous, and in the meantime, I party. So the Vedas are, oh, you're young, you're a student? Okay, you're supposed to be celibate, you're supposed to be controlling your senses, you're supposed to be studying the Vedas, and your main way of connecting with Krishna as a student is through studying the Vedas, preparing for the livelihood you're going to use to offer to Krishna, and studying the Vedas. Okay, now I've finished my education, now I have material desires, I have material desires for a house, I have material desires for money, I have material desires to make money in a particular way. There are certain things, certain things I like to do. I have material desires for sex. Okay, if, you have, if you're in the Grahasta Ashram, then what are you going to do? Well, first of all, you're going to get married. So in modern society, people don't get married anymore, do they? I have desires for sex. Okay, I'll have sex with this one, and then this one, and this one, and this one. and you know, Or maybe there's this one for a long time, but I won't marry them, and I won't take care of them. Right? Or I'll just have sex watching pornography or something. I won't even have sex with another 
human. You know, so that, that I'll fulfill my desires for sex in some other way. And I'll fulfill my desire for money. I'll do whatever I want to do for money. And then I'll use all the money to just buy cars and flat screen TVs and, you know, go on vacation and, and like that. So the Grahasta Ashram says, okay, you have these desires. You get married. You use your sex with another human and a human that you take care of and that you have responsibility for, you sacrifice for, and not only for the other human that's your spouse, but for all the humans that are going to come as your children, and you take care of them, and you raise them to be devotees, and you raise them for the good of the society, you produce good population for the society, and you want to make money, okay, fine. You make money as a protector rather than as an exploiter. Instead of exploiting knowledge, you protect knowledge. Instead of exploiting people, you protect people. Instead of exploiting natural resources and animals, you protect natural resources and animals. Instead of exploiting the arts and the skills and the services, you protect the arts and skills and the services, and you connect them with Krishna. I protect knowledge for Krishna. I protect people for Krishna. I protect the natural resources and the animals for Krishna. I protect the arts and the skills and the services for Krishna. And I give knowledge to people, or I give care to people, material and spiritual care. I give genuine wealth to the society. I don't just give computer numbers on a screen wealth. I give real wealth from the land and the cows. I give real services. I don't give some factory-made furniture and some techno songs about enjoying your senses, you know, and some fast food that's all full of chemicals. I give, I give real, I give items of quality to people. I was giving the example... So when you see beautiful furniture, you feel elevated. When you see factory-made junk furniture, you don't feel elevated. So even if you're a shudra, you do things that's going to elevate people, ultimately, to Krishna consciousness. So there's a science. The science of Varna is how to take my psychophysical nature that I want to use to do something in the world and how to use it in yagya. That, that's the science. So you take the thousands of occupations, figure out which Varna it's in, and then that Varna tells you how to do it for Krishna. Now, those who have no Varna desires, which is hardly anybody, and no sex des- or practically no sex desire, which is hardly anybody, they can skip the Grahastha Ashram. And if they have just a small amount of sexual desire, they can bring it to the brain and use it in study and preaching. And if they have no desire to engage their psychophysical nature in Krishna's service, because the brahmacharis, the Vanaprastas and the sannyasis, they can't engage their psychological, they can't dovetail their psychological, their psychophysical nature, because they don't do any Varnas, right? Students don't have jobs, right? Students don't have a livelihood. They're students. Retired people don't have livelihoods. Yes? <laughs> That's the definition of a retired person. And dead people don't have livelihoods. And yes, these are dead people. So, seriously. So, students, retired people, and dead people, they don't have livelihoods. The only people who have livelihoods are supposed to be family people. The idea is if you want to have a livelihoods, you at least, at least, you take care of a family. At least. And you should also take care of the society. Just reading it, Prithu Maharaj said... Someone who only works for themselves, only selfishly, can be killed by the king because they're already walking dead. They're useless person. So the principle is I see what are my desires. Okay, I genuinely have these material desires. Okay, fine. How can I use them in service? And that's the Varnashram the system gives us, that's the benefit of it. The Varnashram system says, here's how you do it. Here's how you use being a student in service. Here's how you use being a youthful, energetic, you know, full of, that's the main time of life when we're full of desires, 15 to 50, 55. How to use them as ashram and and environment. Then you start having a desire for detachment and freedom. How to use that in Krishna service as a vanaprastha. Then you start having a real desire for purification. How to use that in Krishna service as a sannyasi. No more varna then. The guys are there. Now, of course, most people in modern society can't use those guidelines because their lives are a mess. So, you know, someone's already been divorced twice and they're living alone and they've got kids from all different marriages and they have a job and where do they fit? You know, you can't put them anywhere. They don't have any ashram. And I've seen devotees who say, well, you have to get married again so you can be in an ashram. It's like, what? So some people, you know, they're, they're not on plan A. Some people are on plan C or... If some people say, is there a plan Z? I said, yeah, there's a plan Z. So some of us are on plan Z. You know. And then you just have to try to offer it to Krishna. So if you, if you can't fit your occupation into one of the varnas, if your life is a mess and you don't really fit into any of the ashrams, that makes it much harder. 
And then you say, okay, I'm just going to meditate on Krishna's my ability and Krishna's my intelligence and Krishna's the light of the sun and <laughs> try to use my talents to spread Mahaprabhu's movement. And you just have to do it that way because you, you've lost the, the template, you follow. But Varnashram gives you that. That's the value of it. Otherwise, why would, would Srila Prabhupada, especially Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta Bhakti Vinod, before that, the Acharyas didn't emphasize much. They'd say, forget about this Varnashram, just do Bhakti. But why did they emphasize? Because most of us have difficulty to just just do the 64 angas of bhakti. We try to just do the 64 angas of bhakti, we become restless. But I want to do this, and I want to do that, and I want to do this, and I want to do that. Okay, okay, here's the template. And what's nice is if you offer it for Mahaprabhu's mission and you offer it to Srila Prabhupada's mission, then it's not even karma yoga anymore. Isn't that nice? Even though it's the template of karma and the template of karma yoga. Because we can use some karma and some gyan. Karma and gyan can't cover bhakti, but we can have karma and gyan in bhakti. It's not, we're forbidden from having material motives in, in pure bhakti. We're not forbidden from any kind of activity or any kind of knowledge. We can have activity and knowledge. So we can use the karmakanda system and we can use the jnana system and, and bhaktiize it. We should never think that that system is purifying it. It's the bhaktiized fact that's purifying us. Varnashram will not purify you. That's not our system. It will eventually over many, many lifetimes, but we're not going to do it perfectly anyway. Forget it. We're not going to do Varnashram perfectly. It isn't going to happen. But what's nice is we, we can do that. We are allowed to use the same system that's used for going to the heavenly planets. And, and say, okay, the same system that's used in Yajna for the demigods or used in Yajna for Vishnu with the idea of the heavenly planets can be used in Yajna for Krishna. And there's a way. How do you do it? If you have this desires, how do you do it? If you have this desires, how do you do it? If you have this desires, how do you, how do you, how do you use it as sacrifice instead of selfish? So that's... Is that all right? Anybody else? Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here in, in Durban.